Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Today we're visiting with a first-time guest. It's Ali Shakur from Teaching Fishing. Ali is a tournament angler and a scientist. We discuss how to create a system for catching more fish, the rigors of tournament angling, and Ollie's current studies on Lake Erie walleyes. Lance Valentine is co-hosting this episode. Let's check it out. Ollie, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what, what you do, I guess. I know oh. you're, you're with the teaching fishing guys, but yep. I know you're a tournament angler. You're, you're really, you're a scientist too. Yeah, so, you know, I fish uh, Masters Walleye Circuit, National Walleye Tour, do a ton of stuff with Lance and teaching fish, an outstanding group. And I, and I got to vouch for Chris also. The man is uh, outstanding when it comes to electronics and installing. He, he, he does my rigging for me also. Um, he really knows his stuff really good. But um, so along with the fishing stuff, I am a scientist. So I um, have a master's degree from School of Natural Resources at the University of Michigan in resource ecology and management. Done some work at places like USGS, um, NOAA. Uh, currently trying to finish up a PhD at Wayne State University. And I'm studying Lake Erie walleye, harmful algal bloom. So, you know, so my fishing and my and my science are kind of interrelated. Very good. Can I just have you just sit up a little bit yep. closer to yep. the table? Yep. Just in the mic. All right. Uh, How's that? That's awesome. All righty. So you're helping out uh, this weekend with the walleye school as well. Tell us about some of the topics you'll be covering there. Oh, man. So it's going to be, uh, man, this, <laughs> this is all in here. Um, these guys hopefully are going to walk out of here uh, Saturday evening with a headache. You know, we're going to throw everything, including the kitchen sink at them. So we're going to talk about, you know, Lake Erie walleye, you know, migrations. We're going to talk about how temperature or how, excuse me, how currents are generated, how they're interrelated with wind, uh, thermal stratification and te different temperature regimes of Lake Erie, bait fish, when they spawn, what are their temperature preferences? Um, how do they move in relation to wind and, and, and different changes in temperature? Um, how walleye relate, you know, back to bait fish moving and everything. So we're gonna, we're gonna you know, follow Teaching Fishing's uh, eight step process that you can check out on, on Lance's website um, and Facebook page. And we're gonna cover all these things with that, with it, within that framework so that people can, you know, work on repeatability right so it's the most important thing in walleye fishing we use line, line counter reels we use a precision trolling app but what a lot of people fail to realize is there's a lot more that you need to kind of think about repeating what kind of current was it what was the barometric pressure you know what was the water clarity what kind of bait fish were in the area so all these different little pieces of the puzzle we're gonna we're gonna give them all in one shot over an eight hour period it's, it's gonna be a marathon <laughs> they better bring some weeds and, and some some note paper because it sounds like you're, you're going to be teaching a quite the class i think the people that are watching here the people that are sitting at this table um they understand the what can happen with currents and, and how that can affect your fishing but you may have people in that classroom tomorrow that are are pretty new to this whole thing yeah. um when you spend some time down at the docks you know and, and you have a guy pulls in and He's got a live well full of fish. And the next guy pulls in and he's like, yeah, they weren't fighting today. Yeah. Um, can you just kind of talk about how that kind of people can figure that out, I guess. And, and where at what point in the stage of an angler do they kind of start learning those types of things? I think it varies from angler to angler. You know, for me, even being a scientist, it came a little bit later and it came almost by accident, you know playing with mapping chips and looking at waypoints and, you know, kind of an aha moment. And that's 
going back to the school is kind of what we're looking for, right? So we're hoping that guys go out there and, and we throw this stuff at them. And they may walk out and say, I didn't get much. But then one day they're going to be on a the river. They're going to see something. And that light bulb is going to go off. Um, so I think it, it happens at different stages. But I think the earlier on you get that information and you get out and you get more experience on the water, you can kind of bring that into, into play. So I think you should get the information earlier. It may not register right away. But as you get experience, that stuff will start to come more into play. I think a lot of it has to do with where you grow up fishing too yeah right you take somebody that 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 maybe fishing or saginaw bay or the western basin of erie current even though it's there isn't a big deal you take somebody that learns to fish out here and they learn you know they learn here at dunkirk or wherever current's a big deal right from the start so i think not only is it where you are in your evolution of an angler but i think it's also where you learn how to fish right yeah that has a lot to do with it yeah and what we're seeing with fish talk is there's you know people a lot of people that are new to kind of what we do or you know, yeah, that's something a charter captain would buy. But really, where these things are going, they're going on to a bunch of multi-species yes. boats. Yeah. They're going on to 18-footers. Yep. And those guys, a lot of the guys that are buying the product, you know, they've been fishing their inland lake for years, and they see a guy, a buddy, catch a big salmon or something. It's like, oh, I want to do that. Yes. And, yeah. and then they go put this on, or then they go out and they fail, typically, is what happens first. And then they start getting into it and what they need to do and how they need to learn how to do it. So talk about that learning curve and learning how to use those currents to catch more fish. Yeah, you know, I, I think if, if people were more observant in their fishing, they would start to pick up on those things earlier. We've all been there. You're out fishing in a boat's crab walk and you can't quite get it to run straight. One side of, the, of your, your offshore boards are blowing in, the other side's blowing out. Your dipsies are being blown off. And a lot of people will turn the boat, but they don't really think about, well, what's happening here? How is it affecting the fish? We've all been there where you make a trolling pass and you catch them. Uh, on one side of the boat and not the other or you catch them on the pass you spin around and come back and you, you, you're marking them but they won't go right so you're dealing with currents and everything so so I, I, you know i think if they start to pay attention early to those type of things it would make it easier later on to, 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 to pick those things up and i you know i've always said it's easier to take someone who learned how to stream fish stream fishing for sure take them to a lake because they understand current yeah. they understand than it is to take a lake guy and take them to a current situation because they just they, they can't see it's the same thing that we talk about deer hunting right if i learn how to steelhead fish or i grew up i grew up fly fishing for for, for stream trout you understand current seams you understand there's between me and that and that where i want to put my fly there's five different layers of current you understand that and i can apply that really easy to the lake right if you don't grow up with that and you're just fishing on what you think is stagnant water sometimes you don't really understand how much that water, that water is moving down yeah. below it. And, 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 and I think that, you know, people need to stop thinking about not just Lake Erie, but all of the great lakes as lakes. They're called lakes. It's, it's a glorified river system, yeah. right? Um, and even tomorrow, like my first slide is a picture of a stream with riffles and runs and rocks and how current is interacting everything because that's how Lake Erie is it's just, when you talk about these things and the things that we're going to talk about the only difference is scale and magnitude everything is the same it's just that the scale changes and one of the things that we end up talking to a lot of people about you know they call in and they're like so you're telling me a salmon can swim 2.4 miles an hour but he can't swim 2.9 miles an hour and it's like the fish can do it yeah it's what you got tied to your line so yeah. that that's the other epiphany the other thing that, that people have to figure out when they're doing yeah, you know, something else comes into play. We'll talk about Ekman deflection or how current changes at depth, how the angle deflects with depth. And you have to understand that fish that relate to current, their mood will change in different currents. So if you're, mark if you're in 100 feet of water and you're marking fish above thermocline from 30 to 70 feet of water, you have to understand that there could be 
45, 65, 70 different degrees difference in current from those high fish to that low fish. So there's going to be different current speeds at those different levels also. So your baits are going to run differently. Your baits are going to run at different depths than what you intend them to. But, you know, they're, they are interrelated, of course. You know, we talked about thermocline and how that thermocline will kind of move as the wind blows, kind of slosh around beneath the surface. Um, and your bait fish, uh, uh, desert shad prefer 68 degrees or rainbow smelt prefer low 60. So, you know, those those bait fish are going to be in different temperature water. And that's going to kind of help to dictate along with currents and everything where those walleye are going to be. You know, they're going to be like me. I'm going to be close to the buffet. Right. So those the, the temperature is extremely important, not just on the surface and, and at depth. And, you know, I say it all the time. I'm a big proponent of the fish hawk that X4 is always on the boat. Um, so I have the most information at all times with temperature and, and current at depth that I can have. I'm a little bit on the other side of this. We, we, we have this conversation yeah. a lot. Um, I, I, I'm a huge believer in find the bait. And I, I don't care my experience. I, I don't care if it's 80 degrees surface temperature. Or 40, if that's where the food is, that's where the walleyes are going to be. Uh, I'm not a big concern about what the water temperature is, other than once I find fish and they eat and they're in 75, where can I duplicate 75 again, right? So I'm more on the bait end of it. I'm worried about finding bait fish first. I don't care about the temperature. Uh, some of the other guys are more kind of trying to find the two together first. Uh, I'm definitely a bait first guy. Temperature to me is really irrelevant. But the difference here you have to remember also, like, I mentioned right when I got in, I fish MWC and National Walleye Tour. I'm looking for big fish. If I'm in charter captain mode, like Lance's, I'm going out, I'm looking for bait. I'm trying to get a two or three man limit in the boat as fast as possible. So again, having that knowledge will help you kind of pick out, do I want to catch bigger fish? Do I want to target smaller fish by having those variables also? So it's, it's, it's you know, different sides of the same coin, but all good information at the same time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You know, if you're looking for, it's a different type of, fishing that you're going to be doing that's right looking for a few big bites that's compared right to, i want to fill the live that's right well up. Yep. that's right and that was actually exactly what i was going to ask you next oh, is sorry. is being a tournament angler and it's something that you're very accomplished tournament angler um if you have if you're a guy out there and i'm sure we've got people watching that are incredible recreational anglers they they probably catch more fish than other people on their block you know <laughs> yeah. and their buddies and they're thinking you know what i'd like to give this a shot what would be your advice to that? jump in um you know i jumped in thought i was a hot shot i'll never forget you know my first tournament detroit river in my backyard uh man i'm, I'm about to go out here and give these boys the what's for and i was i ended up like 110th out of 120 but it was a fantastic learning experience right i got my butt kicking it humbled me it made me think man i'm i gotta really i gotta really think better about this stuff um but i would suggest to, to jump in have you have your stuff together but i mean you know my, my view on, on that is we all put our pants on it the, the same way and you can you can run with the big boys just like anyone else can so i would suggest they jump in and have a good time i think i think the big thing for me when i started tournament fishing was realizing that from zero to 120 everybody can fish yep. this is this is where this is where the process really became a big deal for yep. me yes from first place to 120, we can all we all know how to live bait, right? We all know how to vertical. We can all fish. It's who finds the best fish faster, and who makes the best adjustments. The best adjustments. That's when I realized how important the process was of making good decisions, reacting quickly to what happened on the water, and processing that information fast, because everybody there has the physical ability to fish. They all can fish. Yep. Right. It's who has the ability to react to what's happening underneath the water who sees it faster, who reacts faster. Those are the guys that, that continually end up at the top. That's why you see guys, yeah. you know, win a tournament or two, the next thing, next thing you know, they're, you know, they're 98. Yeah. Sometimes you miss it, right? That was, that's what really kicked me right in the shins was how 
how good everybody was as an angler. Yep. These guys are really, really, it's like the golfers, right? You know, you have no idea how good guys on the PGA Tour are. You have no idea how good anglers, guys that fish national circuits are. But the guys that are continually at the top, they're the guys that think the process of fishing it's, a whole it's, lot better. It's, it's, it's decision making and having that framework in place. You can't be willy nilly. You know, I mentioned the eight steps. We all use something very similar. I, a quick story. Craig Sleeman, who's in the school with us also tomorrow. He's from, he's from out this way for all of you listening. We were fishing in T.C. last year. We're on Lake Oahe in South Dakota. We never saw each other all week. Day one, we both end up on the same point, 50 miles from takeoff on the same pot of fish on day one because we went through that same process that Lance is talking about with the eight steps and found those fish. And, and it was funny to look up and see him sitting there, but that kind of gives you an idea of the thought process and how people can end up on the same spots after not having seen each other all, all week long. So that, that framework is extremely important and the best guys make the best decisions consistently. That's, that's, that's what separates everyone. Yeah, I think it's another thing and I've never fished on the walleye tour, but I've done some ice fishing tournaments and it's one of those things where you know, we talk about being the best guy in the block or the best guy right. with your buddies. Right. And you fish similar to what we were talking about you fishing is you, you're taking your friends out and you want to catch them as many fish as they can. You want to show them that good time. And, you know, you could go and you get started in those tournaments and go out and fill a bag. Then you show up and you're way off on, on the way yeah, yeah. because yeah. you're just you've been filling a bag mode. And these guys are filling a bag with big fish mode. Yeah. And that's really what I see is the big difference between you know, the average guy and some of the successful. Yeah. 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 What you have to realize is you may be the best guy in your block, but when you go up and you start fishing those levels, everybody's the best guy guy in their block. Right. Right. So it's, 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 it's it's just, just to get there is, is a big deal. Right. You know, and um, just to fish it and have a little bit of success says a lot about you as an angler, but it's, it's, it's the process, man. And, it is a it's got nothing to do look at it, it's got nothing to do with magic lures or super hooks or invisible fish lines. It's got nothing, you know, super sense. It has nothing to do with it. It's it's making good decisions and reacting to what's happening around you. That's right. That makes you a successful angler, charter captain or yep. tournament guy. So you put that time in, right? You get it's again, it's getting as much data as you can. You put so that when conditions change on day one or day two or day three, you get to take that information and make and make the best decision to get, you know, to get back on fish and everything. So yeah, for for sure, it's um it's really interesting to see. Um, but it's it's a great time. I'd suggest anyone interested to to jump in and you know and, and measure up and see where you are. And, and you're a scientist too. That was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I heard you're doing something on uh, the effects of blue green algae yep. on on walleye fry. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So so one of my chapters of my dissertation um studying the effects of um, exposure to microcystis, which is one of the main mat-forming blue-green algae in Lake Erie in the bloom. So I get eggs from Beta Knock from Michigan DNR. Um, I expose them to microcystis and some other algae, um, hatch them out to fry, and then grow them to certain size. Um, I take a look at, you know, egg survival, hatch success. Um, lipid content, which is fat content, is a proxy for body condition. Um, so it's really interesting to see. So there, there are some effects of um, exposure to microcystis at high levels, at bloom levels, um, environmentally, environmentally relevant levels um, that I'm seeing. Um, also, I have some stuff going on where we're using hydroacoustics. Uh, so it's a, if you've ever been on my Facebook page, I post pictures. It's an airplane-like type structure, about six feet. I have four transducers, uh, basically 400, 200, 110, and 70 kilohertz. And we fly that just under the surface through the bloom, and we're able to measure subsurface concentrations of blue-green algae. And then we map fish communities out with that also. We'll overlay some acoustic telemetry of walleye and muskie and 
and whitefish and things that are being tracked to see how they're relating to the bloom also. And if if the presence of the bloom is affecting distribution of fish communities in Western Basin Lake Erie. Um, we'll also take a look at some toxicity. So we have real-time toxicity numbers from, from NOAA and everything. So it's a really important couple of chapters. I've uh, got to make some great papers that we'll be submitting for publication. One of them is submitted already. It's in, in the process of review. So I'll be getting that published. I'll get a link out there when that's published. But no, really, really good research. I'm excited about it. What are you finding? Um, so I'm finding <laughs> there. So there, I didn't want to, you know, Usually throw it out there. Big words yeah, so, so, so just, yeah, so just kind of. <laughs> So there was, I have found some effects on um, hatch success. Um, egg survival, there wasn't a real issue. You know, the, the construction of the egg, not to get too technical, kind of protects it a little bit. But once those fry started to hatch, there were some issues with survival of those fry. And, you know, people will come back and say that, well, you know, walleye hatch in April and the, and the bloom is June. But there are, are in, uh, instances where, um, the, the live detectors have picked up microcystis as early as April in Western Basin. So what happens in the Maumee River, you get these little ponds and the sun heats them up on like the road beds and something. Blue-green algae will, algae will start to grow. And then when the Maumee River floods, it gets washed out and it'll actually start to grow. So there is some exposure of walleye, eggs and fry, white bass also and some other species to blue-green algae. So, so what I am finding that there are some um, negative impacts of exposure to blue-green algae with with uh, walleye fry. Um, also do some stuff with tadpoles, uh, green frogs, and yellow perch too. So um, again, and there are, there are some impacts of those as well. So that blue-green algae, let's take a year like this year, yeah. right, where we, where we don't have a lot of snow cover. Yeah. We, we've, yeah. we've got the ability for algae to kind of start to get going germinate earlier. right now. Yeah. I mean, is is that a is that something we're worried about? Or yeah, you know, just like last year, late we had that bloom. Usually, the growing season is you know July to September. You know, we had kind of another spurt of growth in October and right. November. Could have been a microclimate, you know, layer of warm water. I'm not sure, but yeah, when when you have winters without a, a lot of snow cover, ice cover and warmer temperatures, that extends the growing season. They can grow earlier in the season, and then that will extend later in the season. So yes, there's definitely some concerns with bloom, but again, a lot of that bloom severity can be is di dictated by um, springtime rains. So it'll, you know, yeah, there's a couple of different factors in there, but yeah, there, there, there could be some concerns with, with warm springtimes, for sure. All right, we're gonna have Jim Steele come on in just a second. Let's do Brian's question here before we <laughs> get to that. And, and Ali, you can chime in on this yeah, as well. Yeah, that's, that's definitely for you. <clears throat> How big of a tool is forward-facing sonar in finding and fishing for walleye? Now I'm like its number one fan, right? Um, in, in the beginning, I was like, hey, man, that's cheating. That's that's not, but, you know, quick story again. I was on Green Bay. I'll never forget this. I was on a hump. I knew the fish were there. I knew they were there. Side image them. I'm pitching jig wraps and shiver minnows. Can't catch them. My buddy, Danny Miller, comes up. I'm about to leave. He comes over. He scans, and he goes, do me a favor. Don't fire up your big motor. So I just eased off with the trolling motor. Before I was 50 yards away, he came in. He popped a seven-pounder, then a nine-pounder. And then Max Wilson and Isaac Lockage came in. They're live scoping masters. They sat on that hunt for two days and won that tournament. From that day on, I've, I've been a four-facing sonar guy. Um, it's, it's an incredible tool. I know there's a lot of kind of controversy with it, um, but it's an incredible learning tool. The things that I've seen and the walleye behavior that I've seen have been unexpected how they will avoid the boat, how they chase bait. I was fishing with Tommy Kemos, not the name drop, on the river this fall, and we had a walleye chase his jig from the Belle Isle Bridge to the UAW building. How long is that? Oh, uh, that's, that's probably a quarter mile. Yeah, the same walleye 
chased that jig and Tommy finally caught it at the UAW building. So it's incredible to get a, a scope on what those fish are really doing under the water. Very cool. Lance? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer Nick real quick while, while we got him here. Yeah, let's, let's take care of Nick. Nick must have missed so, your segment earlier. Yeah, uh, it, it's definitely side imaging. Side imaging just gives you a lot wider range, a lot wider beam, yeah, for sure. uh, ability to see fish out. Down scan does pick them up, but you don't get the definition that you get on side scan. I I'll tell you what, as much as I love my regular sonar on river and fish are located on the bottom on structure, you side can take my regular sonar, give me side scan, side I'll, scan. I'll catch them every day. I'll take it. I'll take size scan for sure. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you appreciate for your time. You it's great talking to you. Great having you on the show. Appreciate and, uh, the opportunity. Appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.